you are enough. You are chosen. You are worthy. You are precious. You are important. And today is your day. Don't forget to start the day waking with the word. Good morning. Welcome to Going Forward with Waking with the Word. Today, I want to talk to you from two separate scriptures because I'm recording this on the first day of a new year. Because I'd like these recordings to be timeless for anyone who feels they get anything from them, I'm not going to tell you what year it is. So you could listen to this at any time of the year or on any new year. And hopefully the word of God will be as relevant to you as it has been to me and many throughout all the centuries. Philippians 3 verse 13 and 14 says, This one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind, I press forward to the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. This one thing I do. And this one thing enabled Paul, who wrote this letter to the Philippians, to keep going and keep going and keep going through hardships, persecutions, being imprisoned, being lonely, being alone. In fact, one of his letters, he says that we are shaken, that we are beaten, but we are not destroyed. When you read all the things that Paul went through, Yet he did not give up. It's a miracle. It's a story of absolute triumph in the midst of absolute disaster, is what I would call many of the things that Paul went through. But this one thing, he said he did, and it helped him to progress and to continue. Now, Paul, at this stage, is a man who has went through many of the countries in the Mediterranean area and talked about his Lord and his Saviour Jesus, who changed his life. But before this point, Paul held the coats of men who stoned to death Stephen. Stephen was a young man who worked in the temple, a deacon who served tables He also spoke about the Lord. He was so close to the Lord that it says that as they stoned him, he looked up and he saw heaven open. Stephen, one of God's precious people, was murdered in front of Paul while Paul held the coats of the men who did it. He went on to persecute the believers of what was called the way Jesus is the way, the truth and the life. These believers and followers of Jesus were persecuted by other people, but by Paul too. And he was zealous in it, is what the Bible says. That word zealous means passionate, determined. It almost took over his whole being to hunt down the church and the people in what we now call the church and to murder them, to remove them from their homes, to burn their possessions. And one day, Paul is walking down a road to go and persecute more of these followers. And there's a bright light. And Paul is blinded and he falls to the ground and he hears a voice say, Paul, why are you persecuting me? 
at that point. Paul realises that the person he is persecuting is the very spirit of God, the very spirit of Jesus. For these people follow Jesus, these people worship Jesus, they lived out their life to know Jesus, to share Jesus. Paul goes from that place and if you know the story, he becomes a great evangelist, a great apostle that spreads this word not just to the Jewish people who Jesus came from and amongst, but to the Gentiles, meaning those people that are not Jewish. And at this stage, when he's talking to the Philippians, he says, this one thing I do, this one thing that we're going to talk about today, was done by a man who had a lot of guilt, a lot of shame, a lot of history of causing people pain. Him, in his passion, in his zealousness, in his desire to be right, in his religiousity or faith that came from the very core of his being, had persecuted and killed, or at least helped others kill many people who worshipped our God on the road to Damascus. And he met with the one who only truly knows the will of God. Going on from there, having had many adventures as he travelled round doing what the Spirit of God invited him to do, he says, this one thing I do. This one thing, I believe, is a key to triumph and victory over things in our past that could shame us, cause us guilt, captivate us, hold us so broken in a place where we feel we cannot go on any longer, where we've totally screwed it up, or maybe just became overwhelmed and heavy laden and heavy burdened. This one thing enabled Paul to keep going, to press forward, to become from a murderer to a life giver, to become a man whose works, literary works, letters are read every single day by thousands of people around this planet who say they get something life-changing, life-sustaining and spiritually encouraging from what this man had to say. And yet this man is a man who stood and was happy with death, happy with destruction and even not only facilitated it but wanted it. This one thing, Paul says, I do. What is the one thing that helped this man of death live a life of life? Forgetting those things which are behind. Forgetting. This one thing I do, said Paul, I forget. Now the word forget literally means to loose your mind from. This forget is not the accidental, oops, I'm sorry, I forgot to bring a bottle of wine for a meal. No, it's a deliberate neglect. It's an overlooking. 
It's being forgetful. We so very often talk about being productive, being focused, being attentive. But Paul said that he was attentive to being neglectful. This word can also mean the consequences that build on forgetting. He focused on the consequences that built on forgetting. Paul remembered to forget. And sometimes in life, I forget to remember to forget. The scriptures talk about the arrows of the enemy. And one of the arrows, one of the biggest arrows is the arrow of accusation. And this accusation can come from outside and it can come from within. But its destination is always my heart. Why Paul said in one of his other letters, put on the breastplate of righteousness. You see, righteousness is a free gift. It's not anything I can earn because righteousness means being right with God. And if someone is right with me, that's my decision whether I feel that they are right before me. It's not their decision. No one can choose to say I choose that I am right in the eyes of Emily because it's Emily's decision whether you are right before me or not. But it's God's decision whether I am right before him or not. And he has chosen that I am. He has chosen that he wants to love me, to forgive me, to be with me, to favour me, to walk beside me, to go before me, to comfort me, to stand by me. All of these wonderful things are his choice. Paul said, put that over your heart. Remind yourself of that all the time. Don't forget to remember that. You're right before God. This one thing, Paul says, he deliberately chose to forget. He forgot that he had done so many things, some awful, terrible things that God would not be happy with. And instead, he chose to cover his heart with the righteousness of God with the knowledge that God himself has said, no matter what Paul had done, no matter who Paul was, Paul, you are right before me because I made you right before me. It's my choice. It's not yours. The enemy will come with that arrow and he will remind you and he will remind me of all those reasons why and all those things that we did or think or that have been that can make us so completely unworthy of the favour of the living God and of triumph and victory in this life. Paul says, this one thing I do, I overlook these things. I loose them from my mind. I forget them. I choose to be neglectful. I neglect them. I focus on the consequences that will come from me forgetting that thing as if it never were, says Paul. 
That is not important. There is another verse in the New Testament where it says that Jesus thought little of the shame of the cross. And that word there, thought little, can mean that he didn't think about it very much. And it can also mean that he thought very little of it. He despised the shame is how it is put in the English translation. Shame despises me, but my saviour got victory by despising shame. Let me say that again. Shame despises me, but my saviour got victory by despising shame. And one more time, shame despises me, but my saviour got victory by despising shame. Shame will tell me there is no way out. There is no way forward. There is no way through. You've really done it. This is who you are. That's what will be. Everybody knows it. Even if no one else knows it, you know it. It's done. It's over. And Jesus came and he said, no, because I hung on the cross and I came back. And I despise that shame, that shame. I'm not going to think about it, that shame. I'm going to think little of it because I know who my God is and I know what my God can do. Paul said this one thing I do, I too loose out of my mind. And let's go forward and see what he looses out of his mind. He says, I forget those things which are behind. Now, the word behind, what does that word mean? Well, it's the same word that Jesus used when he said, get ye behind me, Satan. And I believe there's an actual place, maybe not a physical place, but I want to use it as a figurative place or um, a imaginative place shall we say where behind could be because the word behind actually means back after backwards to follow around or withdraw this word behind is used in the scripture to mean to follow after so if you're following someone then that person is in front of you and you are behind them But it can also mean things that follow you. The past is behind me. If we look at time as a linear line, a straight line, the past is behind me. I'm not meant to follow the past. But so very often we feel the past follows us. But the truth is we are meant to move along that line away from the past. Someone once said to me, Emily, take me to the past. They said, I can't. They said, where is the past? I said, behind me. They said, is it or does it not exist anymore? If we say the past does not exist, it can seem like freedom, but truly it's not because we know there have been effects from the past. There have been consequences because of the past. And if you have a healthy conscience, there are some things you cannot forget because they're there and they happened. I once had a relationship. And at the end of this relationship, it just disappeared. And when it disappeared, I said, did it really happen? The other person acted as if it hadn't happened. And I I couldn't quite get that because it did happen. I felt like I was going insane because this 
relationship that, that happened had suddenly just evaporated as if it never happened. And yet I had all the consequences inside of myself and on earth of this relationship that definitely, definitely happened. You see, the past is not to be removed, but the past is to be loosed. Let me say it again. The past is not to be removed. The past is to be loosed. And one more time, the past is not to be removed, but to be loosed. Because if I remove it, I still have the consequences of it. If I deny it, it doesn't mean it hasn't affected me. But if I loose it, then the consequences too can be healed. And I can move forward, leaving it truthfully in the place where it should be, which is behind me. There can be a break of rest given by God if I come to him overloaded or burdened. There is a scripture that says, come to me, all you who labour and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. This scripture is the words of Jesus. It's Jesus who said this. And the most incredible meaning to this scripture, I, I feel, is this. Come is an exclamatory word, which means it's a command. It has an exclamation after it. It's not come to me, it's come to me. All you who labour, the word labour means to grow weary, exhausting labour. To labour until you're worn out, to be depleted, to feel fatigued, to be wearied. So many things in my past have made me wearied, have made me exhausted. Being heavy laden or being burdened is another word in that scripture. And that means to overload, to pack up, to cause someone to literally be weighed down. Now, you can have been weighed down by your past and you can have been overwhelmed by your past. And you can be tired of trying and tired of hearing that somehow you can move on from your past. And I'm sure Paul must have at some points felt that. Imagine being that man on the road to Damascus, going to literally murder the followers of Jesus and then meet Jesus and be overwhelmed by his power to the point where you are blinded and hear him say to you, why are you persecuting me? Are you in that place not there defeated? Paul was defeated. Paul was wrong. Some people find it so hard to be wrong. I'm so grateful to my parents for they gave me, I believe, a healthy, in the end, maybe not in my teenage years or just after, but now a healthy realisation that it's okay to be wrong. It's not great to continue to be wrong once I realise I'm wrong, but I don't feel crushed and broken when I'm wrong. I feel there's a second chance. I can get back up. And I can try again. And I'm so grateful when God tells me I'm wrong. Because by the power of God, he can change things. The word being burdened can even figuratively mean to be overburdened with ceremony. And I find that interesting because in the religious, what shall we say, community, so many religious communities... They can overwhelm you and overburden you with religion. And you can come to the point where there's no answer in it. It's more tradition than anything. And people actually find themselves struggling to fulfill the rules. But again, let's go back to that verse that says the anger or the passion of man does not fulfill the will of God. 
in this scripture where Jesus says, come to me, you who are heavy laden, labor and are burdened, and I will give you rest. The word I will give you actually means to give an intermission from. It actually is a refreshment. It can mean I will make you to rest. I will give you the experience of rest after the needed task is completed. I can make you pause to rest after precious toil and care. Paul said, this one thing I do, I loose from my mind those things which follow me, those things which are behind me. Jesus said, get ye behind me, Satan. But he wasn't saying, you follow me. He was saying, I loose you from my mind and I put you in a place where between you and me, there is an intermission of rest. I won't be overwhelmed by you. I choose not to be, because where I'm overwhelmed, my God can give me rest. And he's promised to give me rest. He's commanded that I put on righteousness, which says, yes, you're right. You're right. I'm not worthy. You're right. I screwed it up. You're right. The past is real. But so is God. And my God has chosen there is a way forward and he's also chosen thank god there can be no way back you are behind me i go forward following not the past but following what paul followed and what did paul follow well he then says i press forward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. I press forward towards the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. The past is real, but I can send the past to a place I choose to overlook, forget, exclude, that has no place in my present. I can loose it from my mind and receive the consequences that build on forgetting. And I can choose to press. The word press is really interesting to me because God once said to me, Emily, to do anything of supernatural worth, the natural has to get stretched. When I studied this scripture well after God saying that to me, because I said it in a circumstance where I felt so stretched, this word to press means to extend or to stretch forward, to strain after, to stretch forward and lay hold of. There's a prefix to this word which denotes force. To stretch oneself forward towards. That word towards means movement from one position to the next. So Paul said, the one thing I do is to forget. I tell the past, you're behind me, I don't follow you, and you don't have to follow me. I'm putting you behind the rest of God. You can come no further towards me. That's what Jesus meant when he said, Satan, get ye 
behind me. Not behind so that Satan followed him, but behind so that Satan was away from him. He was protected from that which Satan suggested, that which Satan remind him, reminded him of or would of, that which Satan wanted him to hear. He was protected from that by the rest of God, by the decision of God, by the word of God, because what God says is what God does and it's what God means. And God had chosen what Jesus's calling was and Jesus was to triumph. But to triumph, he had to go through death. Satan was trying to move Jesus away from where God was calling him and inviting him to be. He would have moved him lo really lovely feeling to come away from that hardship that God had for him. But the victory, the triumph would never have been won. Jesus was so attentive to the voice of God that he recognised the voice of the enemy. And that is one of my aims, that God would help me to be so attentive to his voice. I would also realise and hear the voice of the enemy enough to know when he speaks to me straight away so I can say get you behind me go to that place that I choose to forget go to that place that means nothing to me that place where you will not follow me because between you and me between that place and me now is the rest of God and the word of God and the decision of God and that's what Paul meant when he said put that righteousness over your heart so when that arrow comes you say ha, no place in me no place in me that memory no place in me that shame, no place in me that sin, no place in me that regret, no place in me that pain. Because God, God has given me rest. God has chosen me. God has given me purpose. Yes, it exists. But thank God that God exists too and he overwhelms the darkness. The darkness does not overpower our God. So Paul pressed forward, he stretched forward, he reached forward. And it says he reached forward towards the mark. Towards, as I've said, is from one position to the next. The mark means a mark on which I fix my eye. A mark that is aimed at. It's the end marker. And it's actually used here to describe a point that I am supposed to look at. It's also, the word also comes from a word that is used to mean to dig or to excavate. It's the trying to find something. I press forward trying to find something. My aim is not that which I remember, not that which I've done, not that which has been said to me, but that which I am looking to find. That place that I am going. I am to have a face like Jesus set like flint towards only this one thing. The prize. The prize. Paul said, I press forward to the mark for the prize. And the prize there actually means to act as an umpire. It's a prize awarded to a victor. It's the reward or the recognition that follows triumph. And it used to be the word for the prize in the public games in Paul's day. 
is the same word that Paul uses in 1 Corinthians 9 verse 24, which means run, uh, which says, sorry, run to receive the prize. And it's often quoted at funerals, that scripture, because we say this person has run their race, they've finished their course and they've received their prize. In life, we don't think about death every day because death is a morbid thing for us here on earth. But what Paul did every day, he says, I do this one thing. I forget that which is behind that God has cut off from me. And I choose to press forward, to stretch myself towards that prize that I'm trying to find. That prize of victory. That prize of triumph that has been promised to me by God. That prize is the thing that motivates my race. I finish my course because I look for that prize, that end destination. You see, where I was does not no longer matter because it's where I'm going to be that I'm going towards. And where I was will not follow me because I leave it well behind. And I can do that not because I've chosen to, but because he has chosen me. Let me say it again. Where I was, I leave well behind and it does not follow me because it doesn't have to. Not because I've chosen that, but because he has chosen me. And I'm going to say that again. Where I was and what I was and what I did, I leave behind and it does not follow me. Not because I have chosen that, but because he has chosen me. And he has said, you can have a prize. And this prize is the end result of triumph and then it says for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus now that word high actually means up it means above to be on top of to the brim it can mean heaven or heavenly but it's literally up having my eyes on heaven and not on earth having my eyes above the circumstances which is a hard thing to do but is the gift of God and the gift of grace when my dear father passed away he couldn't talk because he had tongue and throat cancer and he wrote down on a piece of paper which is how he communicated with us the last time he saw me be my girl and never give in to circumstances and the other night I was remembering that he'd said this to me and I often remember it and it gives me such a pain because I miss my dad. Be my girl and never give in to circumstances. My dad was a man who looked up. He used to say, keep looking up. There was a dear man called Brian Folds who is such a lovely, lovely, lovely part of my history and his dear family and his dear daughter. Such an encouragement to me. And he used to say, keep looking up. I remember he said that to me. We look up, not down. We look up, not behind. We look up, not beside. We look up to our high calling in God, in Christ Jesus. Now this word here, I want to talk about this very quickly as well. This calling is an invitation. It's a divine call. It's a summons. But it really means, as I've just said, an invitation. And it is, it's God inviting all people to receive his salvation and the blessings that go with that. 
That's really important that we get hold of that. It's God inviting all the people to receive his salvation with all the blessings that go with that. It's not just salvation. It's not just a road to follow. It's all that God is leaning towards me. The word charis, which we translate as grace, does not just mean undeserved favour. And it's not just the grace of God as in what God does for us. It actually means God himself leaning towards us to bestow upon us and into our lives all that he is. Your calling and my calling is not something that which I do or some burden that is put on me, but it's an invitation to enter in to this incredible experience where he gives all of himself to me. The calling is to know him and to receive all that he is, all that he possibly can be for me, which is why my past, the, the shame of it or the regret of it or the pain of it has no place anymore in this relationship. Pain perhaps does, for we work it out with God, but shame and regret, sin, discouragement, all of those things. He says, no, 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 because I'm God and I'm here now. And with me, all things are possible. And with me, all things are for you. And sometimes we have put this word calling as something we must do, as a burden upon us, as a giving up. But actually, the truth is, it's a giving to. It is God giving himself to me. And yes, because I'm receiving God, there is much of myself that I will need to give up, give away, give out, because it doesn't make him welcome. And it will not link with who God is because he's all things good. But it's a giving to before a giving away. God, yes, needs us to empty ourselves so he can fill us. But the filling is so fantastic. God leaning towards us with all that he is. This one thing Paul did, he forgot those things which were behind. He said, you won't follow me. The decision and the rest of God is between you and me. And I will stretch forward to receive with my eyes on that prize, that mark. I'll keep digging for it. I'll keep searching for it till I receive the prize, the triumph, the victory that comes because of the invitation given from God which is above these circumstances and all of my past and all of my future and all of my present even in Christ Jesus and lastly God in Christ Jesus God is the creator and the owner of all things he is the magistrate, the supreme being, and he invites me to come above the past, to come above the circumstances. He says, I will pour myself out to you so there is a rest in between you and your past. Do this one thing. Forget it. Loose it from your mind. And I'll give you the power to do it and I'll give you the grace to do it, and I will release you from it, and I will tell you where to put your eyes so you can move forward. In Christ Jesus. The word in there means in the realm of. It's the same word that was used when God said, Mary, you will conceive a child. Inside of that woman, 
a baby would be formed and would begin to function. Inside of Christ Jesus, who is the Messiah, the anointed one, the Christ, Yeshua, which means Yahweh saves. Inside of him, inside of what he has done for me, inside of Jesus coming as a message of what God was like, inside of him showing me that not even death can stop what God wants for me, inside of him showing me that death, although it's our greatest enemy, as the scripture says, has no sting anymore. Inside of Jesus, there's an invitation from God that I can receive all that God is, that I can be saved from my past, that I can tell my past to go to a place that is separate from me now, although it still exists and he will deal with the consequences of it. I can now have the consequences of forgetting it, neglecting it, of it being separated from me because in between me and it is all that he is and it's him that I'm following and I'm leaving the past behind. My prayer is that we will all do what Paul did every day this year. This one thing and that we will keep looking up. God bless you all. I'll speak to you again soon. Take care. If you would like to support our work, you can find details at info at comebacktogod.org.